This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set tools, performance coaching, sales leadership training tools, video insights with some of the world's most successful sales leaders, tools used by sales leaders to create massive impact in the current environment. So don't waste your time trying to reinvent sales leadership. Head to Sales Leadership United on Patreon and check out what the world's most complete collection of sales leadership assets can do for you. Every topic you'll ever need and the tools to help you accelerate your sales leadership career all in one place. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. Tap into the power of coaching with people who have been there, done that. If you've ever wondered how other people with jobs similar to yours are addressing challenges you're facing now, reach out to the Jepson Performance Group and learn why sales leaders all around the world choose us as their performance partner. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Now, I love hosting this show. Over the last four years, I get to speak with some of the very best sales leaders in the world. And today's guest, this is someone I've literally been trying to get on the show for three and a half of the four years we've been going. It started when this uh, mystery guest was the number one product marketer in the world. So as a listener, I want you to start trying to guess who this is going to be, okay? Uh, I tried again after this person shifted out of product marketing and he became a sales leader. And, and then he went on to become the top sales leader in one of the greatest SaaS growth stories in recent years. And now this gentleman that I'm so excited to have He's the founder of a company called Quota Signal, where he works with sales leaders sharing a blueprint that helped him hire and lead one of the most prolific sales teams in recent years. If you haven't guessed, the dude I'm talking about is Chris Orlov. Chris joined Gong as the number two U.S.-based employee and helped it grow in every single metric that matters, from $178 grand to a multi-billion dollar company, from 17 customers to over 3,000 and still growing. Chris is a phenom, okay? He's been part of building, learning, reinventing, and creating systems that lead to predictability in sales. He's a wildly successful sales leader, an extremely insightful sales expert, and one of, most important to me, one of the great people you'll ever have the opportunity to meet. I've known Chris for a while. I've been a big fan for a long time, and I don't care what industry in, because we got all the industries here listening to the show. I don't care. I don't care how big your company is. I don't care how small it is. And I mostly don't care how long you've been a sales leader. Every single person listening today, of the 45,000 people listening today, you all have something to gain with a conversation with my guy, Chris, Chris Orlov. Chris, by the time I'm done talking to him, you're going to know why I feel that way. So Chris, my man. Welcome to our show, and thank you so much for joining us, finally. 
well, all my accomplishments pale in comparison to how awesome your podcast voice is. You have a great <laughs> podcast voice. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, the, it's so good to have you here, Chris. And, and for the people that are at Sales Leadership United, you're going to want to see the videos because Chris and I are going to have a good time here together. In fact, we even match. We have our matching shirts on today. So. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I got the glasses and everything. My wife's embarrassed that I wear these in videos. But can I can I cuss on this? Is this going to be like? Of course you can. Go for it. So no, the reason, one of the reasons I wear these glasses, is because I have resting bitch face, right? <laughs> like, and, and it kind of hides it. Like my eyebrows make me look like I'm mad a lot, but I'm like I'm almost never mad, at least when I'm on video. And so the glasses help with the blue light, but they also make me look, I think, a little bit more approachable. So here we are. Well, I am glad you're here, Chris. This is this is something I've been looking forward to. I'm I'm so excited. I I, I want to first congratulate you for all the success you've had happen in recent years. The last five years have been good ones. You've played a big role in a lot of big things. But I'm especially excited with what you're doing now. Why don't we start by having you tell us what you're up to these days? A little maybe a little like the high level on your story and what you're doing now. And I think that's going to set the stage for what we'll talk about today. Yeah. So I left Gong. Uh, you know just third most person or passionate person on the planet for that company right after the two co-founders. I absolutely love it, but I felt like I did my time there. I was there for almost six years. And so I left just a few months ago uh, to co-found a couple different businesses actually. Uh, and both of them are like mutually reinforcing. So we don't have a lack of focus. Uh, one of them is called pclub.io. Okay. And it is online courses for SaaS sellers. So, you know, courses on discovery, courses on winning competitive deals. The main business, though, is what we call quota signal. And I'll give you like a little bit of a high level pitch. When you're growing AE headcount pretty fast, right? If you're hiring five or six account executives per quarter, sales leaders tend to run into this hiring dilemma, right? You can either hit your aggressive headcount targets. But because you moved so fast and hired so fast, you probably mishire 40 to 50% of your people, which has a big ARR or revenue cost. Or you can go slow, hire great people only or coachable B players, but then you miss your headcount targets, which is also an expensive uh, check to cut because that's usually tied to your revenue plan. And so the way we solve that is through a combination of human and SaaS. We call it interviews as a service. And it is where cool. we have the, the planet's best trained and certified sales interviewers who know how to do predictive sales interviews and run mock discovery calls. And we do those interviews and mock discovery calls on our customers' behalf with our candidates uh, or with their candidates, rather. We record it in a SaaS platform, deliver a data-rich profile of the candidate. And uh, we've got our first few handfuls of customers and they are skyrocketing and we're having a blast let's, with them let's go i love it well we'll make sure that we put links to uh p club and quota signal in the show notes and make it really easy at the end again for us to uh direct people that way i i, I i'm sure we're gonna have a lot of people that will be interested in what it's like to be delivered uh high quality candidates like to help you cut through the noise i imagine what you do is you don't say who to interview you don't say who to hire you say here's who your finalists are probably right Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, don't, yeah, I, I think that's awesome service. Cool. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about you making the transformation to sales leader. I, I think your story is really cool how you became sales leader and then you had to crack the code on what it meant to become an elite sales leader. And elite's a word that we use around here. Like we don't want to be good. We don't want to be average. We want to be elite. We want to be one of those people that create life-changing years uh, and, and, and a catalyst, a direct catalyst to the growth and success of a company that you absolutely are that person and you're helping other organizations do that. Can we talk a little bit about your, your kind of journey as you became a sales leader and as you started to build your blueprint that led you to what you're doing now? Yeah. I, you know, I actually started my career in sales. And so like a lot of the world knew me as the product marketer who transitioned into sales leadership without realizing there was, you know, stuff that came before product marketing that was a lot more sales oriented. So I spent the beginning of my career as a regional sales manager at a local Utah company called uh, InsideSales.com. Did that for a few years, left to co-found a business that eventually led me to starting at Gong. And I don't know what got into me at that point in life, but I really wanted to try my hand at product marketing. I don't know if I was like burned out from sales or what the deal was. I think I'd always been fascinated by marketing and I still am. I love marketing. Um, But I wanted to run product marketing and the CEO happened to want me to run product marketing. And so I did that for about two and a half years. Um, I like to think I was pretty successful at it, but I also learned that it's actually kind of fun being on the hook for having a number. And it's not really that fun not having a number, right? Like a lot of sales leaders and salespeople are probably thinking like grass is always greener. Like, oh, I would love to not have a quota. But keep in mind, like when you're not the one with the quota, you're at the mercy to the person who carries the bag, right? You you have to serve them. They're your customer now. And so what comes with having a quota is to some extent, this isn't always true, but you get to call the shots. And maybe I just have a big ego or maybe I just have a you know, big driver personality. I like to think it's more so that than big ego, but I hated not being the one calling the shots, right? It drove me crazy. Love it. So I had a number of conversations with our chief revenue officer at the time, Ryan Longfield. He's still chief revenue officer over at Gong, amazing mentor. And he wanted me to build one of the segments of the sales organization. I did. I made a lot of painful mistakes along the way, but we also had a lot of uh, roaring success along the way. And by the time I was done, we were the number one producing segment within Gong, more President's Club winners than any other team within the company. And uh, I was actually just in Punta Mita uh, at that President's Club a few months ago back in June. So we had a blast. Nice. Okay. So that sets the stage really, really well, man. And I, we could take this a lot of different places. I, I'm really interested in what some of these insights you came up with that helped you lead to build this team. Like, I think you had everybody's attention. You went from, yeah, you said I made some mistakes, but I also learned some things. And when it was all said and done, my team was top producing and most people going to president's club. And you're in a world now where you're creating courses around that you are doing services to help hire teams like that. And so I like everything you're doing right now is to try and amplify and share this blueprint that we know with certainty works. Right. And so where, where, where would you tell sales leaders to start? If you want to start upgrading your team, if you want to start taking your team from, you know, wherever you are to something better, and that's what I hope everyone is, because like you said, you, you, you like having a number. I, I often say, Chris, 
if we aren't signing up for the more button, find another job. Like we should be signing up for more, right? <laughs> and because um, more is going to come every year. And so I'm, I'm really interested when you're signing up for more and you're trying to make it better. Where do you like to start? Uh, hiring is probably where I'm most passionate about. And, you know, that's why we decided to start this company we're working on, because I think that's where the most leverage is, right? I think it's like John McMahon in his Qualified Sales Leader book, uh, where he talks about if you hire a bunch of C players, but you do every other part of your job right, or even world-class coaching, pipeline management, forecasting, operational rigor, all that kind of stuff, you're still going to struggle, right? Because they're your fuel. But if you hire nothing but A players... And you do every other part part of your job in a mediocre way. Not that anybody encourages that. You're mediocre at coaching. You're mediocre at operational rigor. Uh, all those other things. But you hire amazing people. Those amazing people are going to find a way to win. And I experienced that first time, right? Or firsthand. When I took over the team at Gong, or at least started building that segment of the sales organization, it was a small team when I started. It was just a few reps. By the time we were done, it was 30 reps. My first couple hires um, were mishires, and that was my fault. Why? And, well, I think a a salesperson is not a salesperson, right? Somebody who's successful in one context or sales environment isn't always going to be successful in another sales environment. And so, you know, a lot of times we take achievements at face value. Somebody crushed their quota, but if they were in a sales environment where the category was well understood, it's not competitive, uh, it's well established. There's a lot of process. And then you put them into Gong at the time, right? right? Circa 2019, where we're creating a new category. There's no budget for it. Very, very, very competitive and very ambiguous. A person is usually going to struggle. So that's one reason. Another reason is, I don't mean to use the word lie because it's a little bit aggressive. Okay. But most mediocre salespeople will tell white lies in interviews and on their resume. And it's very hard for an inexperienced sales leader or even some experienced sales leaders to sort out what some of those white lies are. And I fell for those in spades, right? I was hiring, you know, my first couple of reps, I needed them to be hunters, right? Yep. In hindsight, that's what I was looking for. I needed like aggressive people who were gonna build pipeline, close deals, challenge customers. And I remember one person I hired who ended up being a mishire. She was great in other contexts, but not in this one. Um, She talked about how, you know, she was at like 200% of quota and a bunch of other things, but it turned out she was a renewal specialist. Now her job, her job title was account executive, but she's like, yeah, I had a $1.5 million quota. And I don't think she said 200%. Uh, of quota, but, but I beat like, it, but I, yeah, beat it. And, and I closed 2 million and I was like, Whoa, but it turned out that 1.5 million was a base of, you know, re- renewals. And it was only $500,000 worth of basically order taking upsells. So you have to be very clear on the profile you're hiring for very clear on the attributes you're hiring for. And then you've got to be able to figure out how do you cut through some of these white lies salespeople tell on their resumes. White lies is probably the wrong word, but like stories, they like to spin stories and there's a lot of them. All right. So this is going to take us into an interesting place. Cause I think probably every single listener relates with what you just said, right? Mm-hmm. 
when someone's looking for a job, they send forward their best representative, right? It may not be, it may not really be them. Maybe, but they're going to send their best representative forward. Like, like Chris, I have people, like I have clients when they're looking for another leadership gig. Like I, before we got on this, one of my clients called me was like, Rob, I have an interview Thursday for a new company. Uh, can we meet beforehand? Because I want to, I want to role play and prep with you. And I don't think that this person wants to tell lies, but they want to put their best foot forward. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we want to say, okay, what are the topics? What are the stories? How do we make our best stories work? Blah, blah, blah. So like when you say that you fall into the, there's, there's some, like, I like how you said, we got to hire for attributes. I, I really gravitated to that. Can you dive into how a sales leader might like benefit from this conversation we're having how do you make a list of the attributes like how did you discover the attributes that you needed the most when you were doing that because i like that idea yeah so the way i think about it i think this is step one of great sales hiring i call it unmistakable clarity and Ooh. unmistakable clarity is when you are dead clear on the outcomes that a role needs to achieve that's one outcomes the profile and attributes of a rep that's number two and then number three, the evaluation methods in which mm. you'll use to assess those attributes. Now, most sales leaders, like even the best sales leaders in the world, normally they only have number two. They don't define role outcomes and they don't define evaluation methods, at least the extent that you need to. And even when you drill into number two, which is attributes, most sales organizations aren't clear enough there. When I think of an ideal rep profile, it's usually broken down into three sections, or at least the best ones are. So you have raw traits, grit, coachability, competitiveness. You have execution experience. What have they done in their career and how relevant is it to what you're hiring for? And then you have skills. They have business acumen. Can they present a business case? Can they demo software? Or have they relied on their sales engineer the entire their entire career? And so, I think your ideal rep profile is always going to be changing and iterating, right? You're, every quarter, you should be taking what you learned in the last quarter and making changes to it. But it depends on what it takes to be successful in the role that you're hiring for, right? So like, I'll give you a few examples. At Gong, we're creating a new category. Uh, we were running pilots and we're selling to sales leaders. Okay, so that was some of the reality of our sales context. Well, if you're creating a new category, you need somebody who has a skill of evangelizing a new point of view. So that's one, Okay. right? Uh, two, we're running pilots. Okay, so that's execution experience. We had complex pilots. Have they done a pilot before? Or are they doing like quick transactional deals? Now you can decide to hire somebody without pilot experience, but just know like eyes wide open, you're taking a risk on that person. That's a gap. Yep. Yep. And number three, we sell the sales leaders, which means you need a very high degree of business sophistication because sales leaders have a high degree of business sophistication compared to other personas. Now let's take a totally different context. Let's say I'm selling job board software to okay. HR. Okay. Well, you, you probably don't need like complex proof of concept or pilot experience because that's not like technically complicated. It's not hard to get that set up. It's probably yep. transactional. So you probably need somebody who's just like has endurance and stamina. Um, and you probably don't need as high business sophistication. In fact, you probably want, want to hire, or hire people who are a little bit more warm and are good at rapport building 
because because it's transactional. Yeah. And you're selling to HR, right? Like yeah, HR yeah. and sales leaders, very different buyer personas. 100%. So the best thing you can do is understand your sales context, what it takes to succeed in that context, and then decide what are the six to eight must have attributes to be successful in that context. So I want to sit in this. This is really, I like these three a lot. Do the priority of these three change from business to business, or is it inside the same business? They may change as the needs of the business change. Because um, I love how you said, like, on, on scenario one at Gong, you know, the ability to sell to a sales leader is really important. And in selling to an HR, it's maybe a different level of, of person. Do yeah. those change inside a company, or would every business have different priorities on those? Or are they always pretty equally prioritized? No, I think they're I think they're totally different. I'll give you an example. We have a few different customers, obviously, yep. and they're hiring very different roles. And so on one side of the spectrum, we have um, SMB SDRs that we're interviewing for. Okay. On the other side of the spectrum, we have Fortune 500 seven-figure enterprise sellers. Now, if I'm interviewing for entry-level SDRs, I'm probably not going to ask you that many questions about your execution experience because you probably don't have any. You're probably coming straight out of college or maybe you've had like one SDR job. Now, if you have that, I'm going to ask you about it. But in that case, you're hiring for raw traits almost exclusively. Work they probably ethic. don't have skills. Yeah, exactly. They probably don't have skills. They probably don't have experience. You're hiring for the grit, the work ethic, the coachability, that kind of thing. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, the enterprise AE who's been at it for 20 years, you are going deep into their experiences. That's not to say like raw traits don't matter. They do. It always matters in, in sales. But, you know, one of the customers we do interviews for uh, closes seven-figure deals with Fortune 500 companies. They're selling data as a service, lengthy proof of concepts, new category, like, of course, I'm not just going to hire somebody who's super gritty, super coachable, super competitive, but no experience closing big deals, because it doesn't matter how great your raw traits are. If you don't have some experience carrying a complex bag, you're going to fail in that environment. So mm. totally different or totally depends on the role you're hiring for, not even just company, but role you're hiring for. And so that takes me to an obvious, at least what I think is an obvious next question I want to ask you. Do you need to go three for three in these when you're hiring? I mean, obviously you want to go three for three, but is that a unicorn depending on this, you know? Usually it's a unicorn. Um, the way we interview gives a 360 degree view into a candidate. And yeah. I have never walked out of an interview, even with the best people I've ever hired, not having at least a couple yellow flags. Sometimes people won't have red flags, but like when you interview right, you will know the good, the bad, and the ugly of every candidate. And every star candidate has some good, bad, and ugly. Mm. So it's pretty rare that you're going to be a hundred percent. And that's where judgment comes in as a sales leader. You right? You're making trade-offs. Okay. This person is a little bit light on enterprise. They've closed some enterprise deals, but they're really gritty. They, they're still getting after it when it comes to pipeline gen. They've got a lot of business acumen, great executive presence. I'm going to take a gamble on that person. I love this. Like this. And, and what, let me tell you why I love it the most. 
You used a term that I really liked. You said you called it unmistakable clarity. In fact, I probably am going to work that into the title of our episode somehow, unmistakable clarity. <laughs> Personal observation for me as a sales leader and as a coach to sales leaders, I believe that nothing big happens without first building speed. And I believe that speed only comes through clarity, that that clarity is the catalyst of speed and ambiguity and confusion in any way is always the first way that the brakes get put on for a sales environment. And so I always start with role clarity. It was interesting to me that you went to role right out the chute. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know what I want to talk to you about with that. I just find that's where I always start. Why is like, why is role so important to your way of looking at salespeople? Well, I mean, <clears throat> you nailed it because like, probably 95% of sales organizations don't have enough role clarity in what they're yeah. hiring for. So what does that result in? A manager yeah. gets out of an interview and they're talking to their boss who also interviewed the person. The boss goes, yeah. what do you think of them? And they go, feels like a good hire or it felt right. Or I like that person's vibe or I don't like that person's vibe. But like, <laughs> that's the worst way to make a decision. And now you're just kind of like, that. that's what leads to a slow hiring decision. You're like, I don't really know because I don't know what I'm looking for versus like, imagine this speed. I'm looking for very specific traits. I get out of an interview and I give feedback and I say, I want to hire this person because of X, Y, and Z. Here's the red flag. I'm going to take a gamble despite that red flag, or I'm not going to hire this person because A, B, and C, they have this strength, but there's too much going against them. That leads to very quick decisions and good decisions. I like this a lot. Um, in your experience working with teams like this, is this rare to have a process like this? Is this like, how, how common is this? Because again, you got 45,000 people listening to this and they have whatever their process for, for hiring is. As you work with people, what is the most common place that you feel like, uh, they didn't do X. And if people that are listening, like if you just looked at one place, look at here first. Is there like a most common miss to this? I think that you've got? the most common status quo is sales leaders have a rough draft at a hiring profile, but they need to take it like two or three steps further. So they'll mm. write coachable, competitive, gritty, uh, three years experience carrying a bag. But what does coachable mean? Right, like somebody's interviewing for coachable on your team. Are they looking for the same thing you're looking for when you think of the word coachable? Because they might be looking for, they humbly take feedback. I can lay into them and they just take it. The way I define coachability is I can give you feedback and your behavior is immediately going to change in a sales call. That's coachable. I don't care how humbly you can take, in fact, push against me, right? Like. I would rather have you push against me and change your behavior for a more successful outcome. And so I think, you know, an easy way to take your hiring to the next level is take your current profile and just make sure, do you have these attributes defined? And then love how it. are you evaluating them? I love it. Well, that's really good. I, I think the idea of, of attributes 
I think that that's a place where people probably are superficial. And what you're suggesting is, I like how you said it's it's like two levels deeper. Because I think you're right. I think, I loved how you said coachability. Because yeah, my definition would have been very, when you said what's your definition of coachability, I was like, that's a great question. Here's what my answer is. Mine was similar to yours. Mine was the your willingness and ability to change. Your, your willingness and ability to make changes. And so it was very similar to yours. But other people, it's like good talk. I think of that Jack Black scene in, in uh, School of Rock where he's sitting there after getting kind of chewed out. He's like, hey, good talk, good talk. You know, and, <laughs> and, and, and there's a lot of people that, that to them coaching is, hey, good talk, you know, and no, it's not good talk. It's what's next, right? Yeah. And so, so I, I think this is, so unmistakable clarity is where you start and you, you break it out into those three sections and you get the whole team to buy into that, I'm guessing. And then you score people based on those attributes in each of those different areas. And hopefully that, that creates more clarity on who you're willing, because ultimately you're always making a bet. There's no such thing as a sure thing, right? There's, there's ultimately you're making a bet. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so that's why I think this is so big is we're always betting at least a little bit. And you've probably seen some of the people that you thought were the biggest sure thing that didn't pan out because we said, like you said, oh, $2 million closer year after year after year, of course, the layup drill over here. We only need half of that. Right. And so, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that, that is, that to me is a really great place to start. So you like to start with hiring. That's how you do it. Um, What's the next place as you're building these elite teams, as you're working with sales, you say, start with your hiring practice. Any final thoughts on that? Or is there another place that you would suggest sales leaders ought to be saying, here's another place that you should be working on your game. If you want to be building this kind of a elite. Yeah. Team? I would say the, the last thing I'll say, I'll say one more thing about hiring and then we can move on to the next yeah. stuff. Uh, the next thing is like, how do you assess for those attributes? Right. And like the best thing you can do is a structured interview. Right. There are let's, other ways. To let's do spend too, some like, time on. No, let's spend some time on. That. Okay. Yeah. Because so I me, think most of them is gut feel stuff is what I think. Yeah. To, to me, there are three elements of a structured predictive sales interview. There is, and I'll explain what each of these means. It's behavioral. The same questions are asked to all candidates in the same order, behavioral, structured, consistent. And so let me start with the last two, like same questions asked to all candidates in the same order. The reason that's important is because it allows you to tap into a human superpower, which we call pattern recognition. Okay. If you're asking the same questions to all candidates in the same order, now you can compare candidates. If you're asking different questions out of order, you can't compare, you're not identifying consistent patterns, right? Once you once you interview five people for a role, if you've kept consistent structure, oh man, you, you will know so much more about what you're hiring for at the end of that fifth interview than when you started. Now, let me get to the third one, which is behavioral. This is probably where people go wrong the most, and it's very hard to get salespeople to answer this way. Behavioral is when you are asking a question that asks for recent behavior, evidence, or examples of an attribute that you're screening for rather than how they think about it or how they would do it. I don't give a shit about what they would do. I care about what they have done because as much as a lot of people disagree with the statement I'm about to make, the best Let's go. predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Now, let me just make a, a very important caveat to that. As a human being, 
not a sales leader, not a hiring manager, as a human being, I believe in the unlimited potential of the human spirit. Okay. Right? I believe the most lowly prison inmate can rise to a life of character and achievement. They have the ability. How many of them do that though? Very, very few. Okay. So this leads to your job as a sales leader. It's to play the odds. It is not the time for you to believe in the power of the human spirit and for the 0.1% of the population to tap into their, you know, God-given or whatever, you know, talents you believe in superpowers. It's to play the odds. And so if that's true, then the best predictor of future behavior truly is past behavior because your job is to play the odds, not take a 0.1% gamble on somebody. And so the best way to figure out what their future behavior is gonna be is ask questions that get them to elicit past behavior. So here's an example. If I say, tell me how you think about prospecting. Somebody can regurgitate the latest blog post they read on prospecting and it has nothing to do with how they actually behave in the job. They can tell you, well, I craft my message tailored to each buyer persona. I create a 12-step cadence over seven days. All Thank channels, you, Professor Orlov. LinkedIn, <laughs> LinkedIn, email, phone call. Now, and, and then you might be blown away. You're like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. But then if you change the question and you go, think about the last week in your job. Walk me through how you sourced your own qualified opportunity. They can't bullshit that unless they're a really, really good liar, which is pretty unlikely. They're either going to tell you, yeah, yesterday, you know, on my 30th call, I finally got somebody on the phone. Here's exactly what it sounded like. And now you're starting to get a sense of how they actually behave versus like the same person who, you know, wax poetically about cadences and multi-channel engagement and personalization. You ask them, how's that shown up in your last week or even month? And can you show me an email you wrote to somebody specific in the last week or month? Very different answers sometimes. So it's funny that you say that, Chris. I want to tell you, I'm going to share an experience that happened to me literally last week. So it was last week. Um, a guy that is part of a larger company uh, that he's been picked to be part of a cohort that I'll be doing one on one coaching with. And he is a high potential sales leader uh, that they want to invest in and develop. And they said, hey, you're working with Rob. <clears throat> and so I reached out to him to set up my first one-on-one with him. And his response was, before we schedule anything, was what you said. Tell me the last time you actually sold something. That's what he's like. I want you to tell me. <laughs> he's like, before we do anything, I need to know X, Y, and Z before I give you a minute of my time. Never mind that my company hired you. Before I'm going to spend a minute of my time, he's like, there's a lot of charlatans out there. I need to know when was the last time you did X? And at first I was like, what? But then I thought, I love this guy, right? I love this guy. This guy is, <laughs> it was, it's, it's kind of like what you're saying. He, he didn't want to know my theories on things. When was the last time you did? I want to know yeah. when was the last time you did? And so I, I liked your idea of, of having people share behaviors. But I think that's a really important perspective because Yes, the semantics matter in how you ask it, but your intent is going to drive those semantics. Like, and I would imagine sometimes people might try to get into their thought process on it. And you, do you sometimes have to call time out and say, great, I really, yes, like, I read that article too. Do. Yeah, yes. I read that article too. 
or you, I mean, I interrupt people so often during interviews and I make that up front. Like before we get into it, I'm going to say just like a few pieces of context and I'll give them a few pieces and I'll say, one of the things you're going to see from me is I'm going to interrupt you, interrupt you a lot. I don't do it to be rude. I do it because we have a very limited time together and both of us want very specific pieces of information from each other. So if I see you going on a tangent, I'm probably going to cut you off and redirect you. So I'll give you an example from this morning. I was interviewing a uh, for a very seasoned enterprise role. And I asked this guy to walk me through a recent deal he's closed from first call to close and help Beautiful. me get a sense of how you sell by walking me through a, a deal. He shares his screen on Zoom, walks me through a slide deck that could be a sales book. We're talking about MedPick. We're talking about unique yep. point of view, mobilizer champion like all these words from all these different sales books and i stop them i'm like you obviously know your stuff when it comes to selling walk me through how this has shown up in a deal that you've run recently and he couldn't do it like he tried he walked me through a deal but none of what he was presenting to me showed up well in how he walked through the deal and so that tells me like you know, it wasn't like an automatic disqualifier. I disqualified him for more reasons than just that, but <laughs> it, it's, uh, it is very easy. <laughs> it's very easy for people to talk a big game. It's very hard to talk that same big game if they don't have it. If you tell them, give me a recent example of that recent behavior, recent evidence. Let me ask you, can we sit in this idea of behaviors for a minute? Can I, can I dig a little deeper yeah. in this concept for a minute? You've talked about hiring for coachability. You've talked about hiring for behaviors. I think the concept of hiring for coachability is an important one. And I think that we could do a lot of good for our leaders if maybe you could peel back your experience on how do you, what kind of questions, what kind of approach to have to help people find coachable. Here's why I asked. I think coachability has always been massively important. You and me both know, we both have been coaching, passionate about coaching. It's one of the things that we've had in common. I think going forward, Coaching is going to be more important than it ever has because so much is changing and the, you know, the playbooks of the past are less relevant than they used to be. And I think people are going to need to be relying on creativity and willingness to try slightly different things. And so I believe that that hiring for that is going to be maybe more important than it even has been in the past. Any thoughts on helping our 45,000 listeners say, here's some ways that I've been able to find coachable people. Mm -hmm. You want to know what, the best way to waste or the biggest waste of time for a sales leader is yes coaching on the wrong people yes 100% so <laughs> so i love what you just said because i did this yesterday chris i was with someone i showed them like a distribution of people on a performance curve okay mm -hmm. i said where do you spend your time and they had this big debate oh it's the middle oh it's the high performer oh it's the and i and i i let them do that for a while i said no you need to spend your time on the people who have the highest responsiveness to coaching. Exactly. Yes. Who Boom, cares where they go. fall on the coaching yes. curve? Who gives a shit? Yeah. And so that whole concept that goes back to 2005 of moving the middle that I'm one of the biggest arguers against this move the middle concept, I think mm -hmm. is bullshit. Okay. And like our sales stack isn't the same in 2000 as it was in 2005. Our approach to sales is different. Why are we still coaching the way CEB said to in 2005 on moving the middle? And Instead, we should be measuring actively how do people respond to coaching. You are dead on. I think this is a big topic. I can't wait to hear what you say next. 
Well, as far as how you evaluate, actually, I'll give you a few examples. My top rep I've ever hired, like top rep by far, I spent the most time coaching him, but not because he was like, he needed it uh, or anything like that. It was just because he was really, really coachable, right? So like I, uh, and he would push back on me a lot. Like we would have these coaching interactions, but like his way of pushing back was helping him understand and integrate a new concept so that he can act on it. And so a lot of people would chalk that up to like, oh, he's just not coachable. Now we would finish a coaching session. At the end of the day, I listened to his most recent gong calls and he did it with like perfection. And so your biggest waste of time as a sales leader is coaching the wrong people. Your best investment of time, aside from hiring great people, is coaching coachable people. Now, how do you find coachable people? It's pretty hard. It's actually one of the harder traits uh, to screen for. And here's why. One of the best ways, ways to screen for it is tell me about a recent time in the last week or month where you got constructive feedback from a peer or your manager and you changed your behavior in how you were working a deal or how you were working a sales call. Now, if they give you a great answer to that, there's a decent chance that they're coachable. The problem is finding people who are still coachable that can't give you an answer. Because what some people will say, and it's true, is they'll go, I haven't gotten any coaching feedback from my manager in like the last two years, so I can't give you that example. So that's one way I screen for it. The other way is... I know is that a, a red flag if they just stood there for two years and didn't and just put up with no coaching or is there not, do you say there's nothing they could do about that? I, I'm really interested in your thoughts on that. Cause that's a, I mean, I think, uh, you know, where, where I would go is I would say, okay, so what did you do to improve them? Right. Cause I think about some of the time that. I spent in other sales organizations like as a rep a long time ago, and there were definitely long stretches where I wasn't getting coached but I was devouring sales books and sales training in my own time. So if you then ask somebody and you're like, okay, how are you like, you know, honing your craft? And they're like, I'm not, or they give you the, yeah. Or they give you the equivalent of I'm not by, you know, beating around the bush, then, you know, probably a major red flag. Um, The other way I tend to screen for coaching, a lot of people don't like this, but I do is, I am a big believer in mock discovery calls. I don't think they're the ultimate test, right? Like a lot of top performers flop in discovery calls and a lot of shitty salespeople are great at them, but they are a good test for coachability, right? If you're like giving feedback at the end of one and you say, you know, here's what I would do. Let's actually replay that two minute snippet and see how well they can integrate that. Do they have the intelligence to absorb a new concept? And do they have the behavioral prowess to shift their behavior in the right direction? It doesn't have to be perfect, but you know, if it's if they totally fumble, it's a sign. Dude, we're down to our last like five or six minutes. I can't believe we're out of time already. This God, that went fast. Yeah, it's, it went really... so fast. We we got we're down to five minutes, and so I'm sensitive to that. Like I knew it would, Chris. You're like. This has been even better than I thought. I want to first want to thank you on behalf of our listeners that you would share. Like you gave us some great insights on, on 
how to hire and you gave us some great insights on how to hire for coaching. You just gave us a few really good insights as well on coaching. And I think that the next time I, I have you back, I hope you'll come back early next year. I'd like to do one just on coaching. I'd really like to do a, like a coaching episode with you. I think that would do be, it. That, that would fun. be fun. Yeah, that would be really fun. We haven't done one just on coaching for a long time. So let me, let me do this with the last six minutes we got, like, I want to spend a third of that two to three minutes on like, what's the one thing as you look at your secrets that you put in your P club and the, you know, your quota signal, like if there's one thing you, you already love with hiring, like what's like one thing as you say to these listeners, to these leaders that are leading teams of all kinds, right? Here's one thing you really should be like working on your skill on going into next year. 2023 is going to be a different year. You know, that means we need a different leader. Is there something you would suggest? Hey, this is something I'd really recommend you focusing on as a leader to help next year. You have as much impact as you can have. I don't know if there's a shorthand name to this skill, okay? but teaching your salespeople to sell through an economic meltdown, right? And, and here's what I mean. My most fundamental belief when it comes to selling is that money follows pain right? Like if you can find or create pain, money will follow. Now, what does an economic meltdown create? Pain. Pain. Yeah. <laughs> now, the reason we're losing so many deals, and I don't mean to sound, mean for it to sound easy, right? But one of the reasons is we're trying to sell to the old pain that customers had in 2021, where champagne was overflowing. There is pain being caused by this economic meltdown that dollars are flowing to in droves right now. And can you reorient your sales team to be able to tap into some of that? So maybe it's a combination like skill-wise, maybe it's a combination of sales insight and change management and coaching all wrapped into one. But you have to be able to reorient the vision of your sales organization because they're probably trying to sell to the same pain they were last year. And most likely, if that's what they're doing, they're going to be continually frustrated, deals stalling, going dark, CFO nixing things, the same thing we've been seeing for the last few months. That is such good insight. And that's why I still think creativity is like this newly... It's always been important. I think creativity is more important than it's ever been. Uh, we have to look forward now, but that was so good, uh, Chris. We're, we're down to our last couple. How do how do people get more of you? How do they connect to you? How do they um, check out you know, what you have to offer? Well, like I said, we're going to make it easy with some links, but how do people get more Chris and more P-Club and more Quota Signal? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> P-Club is easy. Go over to pclub.io and learn about some of our online sit sales courses. So pclub.io. Quota signal is still in our early days. We are accepting a couple more customers for our interviews as a service business. And so if you happen to be, you know, hiring at a fairly aggressive rate and you're dealing with some of the pain I mentioned before about, you know, sacrificing your bar of talent to hit your headcount targets, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. We don't have like a great you know, our website's under construction right now, but we have launched with some very big customers. We're making sure we really nail this service before um, we go too big with it. So we are pretty picky about who we work with. Generally, tech companies who are growing AE headcount fairly fast is, is who we help the most. So just, I mean, short version, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, 
that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Chris, I'm telling you, man, I can't believe we burned through 45 minutes this fast. Um, we got like one or two minutes left. You given us like something to focus on. Is there, is there a final thought? Like if we were to put a bow on our conversation today, I'm looking through my notes. I got a couple pages of, of, of good notes here now. And, uh, and I'm excited to chop this up into a few different things, uh, video segments to share with people as well. But as you think about our last 45 minutes, is there like a bow you'd put on a final thought for 45,000 leaders around the world and all kinds of industries? Because what you're talking about doesn't just help high growth tech companies, it helps every company. And so I'm really interested in how you would put a bow on this one. Yeah, it's kind of my bow is not related to anything we discussed, but always okay. be learning, keep learning, you know, read books, follow people like Rob, uh, listen to podcasts, get mentored. Uh, if there is anything I've done right in the last, you know, 12 years of kind of this rise that I've been on, it's just voracious learning. So voracious learning. I love it. Chris, man, you are a phenom. I, uh, you did not disappoint. This is one that people are going to go back and listen to over and over again. Uh, Chris is just like us. He, he likes having a number. He likes running to more. Uh, he helps sales leaders all around the world get more people in President's Club, accomplish more, have life-changing years for those people that they lead. And, and he does it in a way that I 100% resp uh, respect. It's through unmistakable clarity. His name is Chris Orlo. I hope you'll check out the links and go to pclub.io and go to Quota Signal. And Chris, I want to thank you. What you did today did a lot of good for a lot of people. And I'm personally appreciative that you'd be willing to give us an hour of your time. And like I said, everybody, good luck. And happy selling, my friend. Thanks, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Developing sales leadership assets is not easy. Companies go to great lengths to equip salespeople with the tools they need to win in their markets, but as sales leaders, we're often left on our own to equip ourselves in what we need to do in order to win and how we lead and develop our salespeople. And in over a 20-year history of working with sales leaders, coaching and training leaders in over 1,000 companies, and winning 18 American Business Awards for sales leadership, I've collected an arsenal of sales leadership tools you can tap into. I'm talking about sales leadership frameworks. Mindset tools, skill set development tools, sales meeting ideas you can use immediately, video insights from this and other episodes of the Sales Leadership Podcast, a private podcast for members only. Listen, my mission is to bring you the tools you need to help you get from where you are to where you want to be only faster than you ever thought possible. I want you to think of Sales Leadership United as a Home Depot specifically for sales leaders. It's got all of the sales leadership assets you need tagged and organized by topic to help you fuel your personal, individual sales leadership journey. Now, new materials added every single week to ensure you stay current and you become an elite sales leader and stay that way. So give yourself the gift of perspective and access to tools that are used by some of the world's most successful sales leaders. Invest in yourself because you're worth it. Use the link in the show notes today and head over to Patreon to check out Sales Leadership United today. Chris Orlov, that dude's a phenom. He's someone that I have watched for a long time. I've loved his work. 
I'm a fan of what he does. I'm appreciative of what he's done for the sales leadership community. And ultimately, he's someone who's been there, done that. He knows how to create predictable, repeatable growth without making it all about the grind. And what he helped build at Gong is nothing short of legendary. And I am pumped that we had the opportunity to have him join us in this episode today because the insights he chose to share with us, they're gold. Okay, they are so good. I hope you filled up as many pages of notes as I did. And if there's one thing that stood out to you in this podcast, I hope it was the importance of clarity. I believe that clarity is the catalyst of speed and speed is the catalyst of massive success in sales. I don't think enough sales leaders understand the power that comes with what Chris referred to as unmistakable clarity. Clarity is going to fuel your success in every single part of what you do as a sales leader. And the opposite is also true. Confusion or ambiguity in any area is the enemy of speed. And nothing will slow you down faster than ambiguity or confusion will. So if you find yourself needing a boost in what's happening with your team, turn to clarity. Role clarity. Task clarity. And as Chris shared today, skill clarity. And now's a great time to audit how you're using clarity in your org. As you get ready to hit into 2023, and as I record this, we're getting to the tail end of November. It's almost Thanksgiving time. If you want to upgrade your performance going into what will be a different year next year, you ought to start with how do you upgrade the clarity you provide to those that you lead? If you're going to if you're going to upgrade, if you're going to upgrade performance, you're going to need to upgrade several things going into next year. And be unmistakably clear in how you lead those people and how they can upgrade their systems. Because Chris finished with a really great area of emphasis as you look to next year. He said something that you, I hope you jot it down. Money follows pain. There's going to be different areas of pain next year. And, and investment is going to follow those areas of pain. So be sure to orient with unmistakable clarity to the new priorities that will most certainly emerge as companies make changes as they respond to new challenges. And as you build your teams going into this year, it's more important than ever to hire for very specific skill sets. Learn to play the odds like Chris suggests. It's, it's not enough just to work hard. Okay, You want to be smart. And, and I love how he talked about looking for patterns. The way I like to look at it is we should be an observer. I, I often feel that the best sales leaders are nothing more than professional observers, okay? Because what I've learned is you'll find what you look for. So if you're observing and you're using those moments of observation, you'll find the things you're looking for. You'll find those patterns. And the days of just leading by the numbers, they ended a long time ago. Today, it's about connecting to the people. It's about helping develop people, creating areas of strength in the places that matter most. And to do that, you've got to have clarity, unmistakable clarity, clarity in the skills that are the difference makers, clarity in how you can help those you make find small improvements, clarity in what the experiences are that lead to predictable success, but clarity. Clarity is a sales leader's tool to find new levels of performance. And the more clarity you provide, the more predictability every single person will experience. What an amazing episode this was. Your insights, Chris, man, they were so on point. And my, my advice to each of the 45,000 listeners that are, that are going to hear this, go back and listen to this one more than once. Take some notes, jot it down, and most importantly, implement what Chris has so graciously shared with every single one of us today. And then I advise you go to Sales Leadership United where you'll have several video segments from this amazing conversation. But whatever you do, spend some time and energy reflecting on the role of clarity in your leadership approach. 
How can you add more clarity? Because clarity will most certainly create more speed. Chris, thanks so much for joining me, man. I can't wait to have you back for round two. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible insights with sales leaders worldwide. Your impact to our profession is massive, and I am so appreciative that you would join me today. So whatever you do, make sure you connect with Chris. Follow him. Pick up what he's putting down. Check out Quota Signal. Check out the courses he's got at pclub.io. I've got the links in the show notes. Just click on those links and go check it out. Subscribe to his newsletter and then be intentional about how you create unmistakable clarity with the members of your team. Chris, thank you. I can't thank you enough. This conversation was fantastic. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. If you liked this episode, please go give us that five-star review on iTunes. It goes a long way in helping me get the best guests in the world on our show. Many of you have asked how you can support this show. You can do it two ways. The first is to check out Sales Leadership United. Like I've said, for the cost of lunch, you can make an investment in yourself that will be a game changer. I get DMs every week where people tell me it's their number one subscription that they have. And I hope you'll be willing to give us a shot. But the easiest way that you can support us is to just share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Share it with someone who needs to hear it. And then be elite. Live strong. Chase your passions. And whatever you do, don't worry. Just execute. Because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast. The award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.